Okay, good morning again. Um, as, you, as you know, we, got, uh, about 100, we have 135 people. I was told that very clearly this morning. Uh, not around 140, it's 135 people that are in Mexico right now, um, which is maybe why you feel like it's a little more sparse in here than typical. Uh, but they're going to build about eight houses and we'll be continuing to think of them, pray for them as they go on their way. This morning, we're continuing our series uh, on the seven I am statements in the gospel of John. And I'm going to invite the ushers forward at this point. You can put up your hand if you would like a Bible from them. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep this Bible. It's our, it's our gift to you. And if and when you receive your Bible, or if you have a Bible, please turn to John chapter 10, which is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And I'll just recap very briefly uh, where we've kind of been and why these statements that Jesus makes are important. So Jesus makes seven statements in the book of John uh, that begin with the verb I am, which is the first uh, person singular of the verb to be. And so in the Hebrew, that's Yahweh, which is where we get the name, which was name of God, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, in the Greek, it's ego, a me, meaning I am. And so when, when Jesus says, I am the vine, or I am the resurrection, I am the bread, I am the light, um, he's not only describing something about who he is, he's also saying that he is Yahweh, he is God with flesh on. And so as God reveals himself in Exodus to Moses, and Mo when Moses says, well, who should I tell Pharaoh who sent me? And he says, God responds by saying, Yahweh, or I am, has sent you. And so when Jesus comes to the Pharisees in the book of John, and he says, before Abraham was, I was, and they wanted to stone him, the reason that was so offensive is because Jesus was saying, I am Yahweh, I am God, I am the one with flesh on, and that was this blasphemous statement that made others want to stone him. So when Jesus says, I am the bread, I am the life, the light, I am the vine, I am the resurrection, He's not just talking about who he is. He's saying, I am God. And then because of that, when he describes himself, he is saying, this is what God is like. Jesus is what God has to say about what God is like. Christology, which is the study of Christ, is theology, which is the study of God. What that means is when we study, God, when we study Christ, when we understand who he is, what he's about, what his heart is, we're actually growing in our understanding for what God is like. He's the revelation of God. As it says in John 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, but the Word actually came and made his home among us, John 1.14. That God, Yahweh, came to earth in the person of Jesus to make his home among us, to reveal God to us. Christology is theology. We've talked about that a number of times throughout this series, and that's why these I am statements become so powerful, is as we understand them, we're understanding a God in actually a, a new way, in a different way. The other thing I would like to say is that Christology is also anthropology. So by that I mean when we study Jesus, not only are we studying what God is like, he reveals what God is like, but he also reveals to us what true humanity ought to look like. 
As it says in Romans 5, that, G, that Jesus is the second Adam. He is the revelation of humanity, of the new creation. And so if we want to understand how to live our lives, we actually follow Jesus. We understand who he was, what he was all about, and that helps us to live as fully human. Sometimes when we think about Jesus, we are like, well, he's not really human. He, you know, he's got his flesh on, and so, um, so I don't actually have to live that way. But instead, we ought to think of him as, no, he's fully human, and I've got some issues, and God's healing me up and preparing me to fully live the way that Jesus lived and is inviting me to live. A bit of the background of John 10, we don't have enough time to go into all the, this morning, but I would invite you to look at Psalm 23, which you, many of you might know, um, a popular psalm. Uh, but even more than that, Ezekiel 34, if you open Ezekiel 34, you'll find the background to the context of what Jesus is talking about when he uses the phrase good shepherd, which is the I am statement we're looking at this morning. I am the good shepherd. What is that all about? The context of that is Ezekiel 34. It contrasts the bad shepherds with the good shepherd who is to come. So before we jump in to the text here, Actually, let's jump into the text, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So John chapter 10, I'll read it, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, we've read it this, we read it a few weeks ago when we talked about the gate, because the I am the gate statement is in this as well. Uh, but we'll kind of read through the first five verses here, and then, uh, and then we'll read the, the remainder of it as we go. John 10, it says, verse 1, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. So... Just briefly, the nature of sheep, if, if, you, if you were to study the nature of the sheep, there's a couple of, there's two primary things, <coughs> excuse me, that I would like to point out about sheep. First is that they're helpless, they're weak, they're not nimble, they're not quick, they panic very easily, they're basically like I was in junior high. <laughs> you can, you can picture Matt in junior high, weak, I'm not quick, I'm not nimble, I'm uncoordinated, I'm helpless, I, I panic when those senior high uh, predators that I was you know, poking and prodding came my way. Helpless. And so often when we think of sheep, we think of them in this way, these, these helpless, these stupid type of animals, uh, and that's actually only one side of, one side of the, the picture. The other side is that they're actually incredibly valuable. Every single part of the sheep was valuable. They were more valuable than other animals. Uh, they were pound for pound the most valuable animals that you could have. Uh, the wool was used. The skin was used. The meat was used. Every single part of the sheep was of value. And the shepherds actually didn't have money in the bank. It's not like they had uh, money that they were saving for their future somewhere else. And then, then there were shepherds on the side. The sheep was their inheritance. The sheep was their future investment. The sheep was their treasure. So on one hand, you have sheep that are Helpless, weak, not nimble, not quick. They panic really easily. But then on the other hand, 
the sheep for the shepherd was this, their treasure. It was their life. It was their investment. It was the, it was the thing that they cared more about than anything else. That the, Their entire life evolved around their flock. And then on top of that, in, in the verses that we read, you'll see that it says Jesus leads them out. And the picture we have of an eastern shepherd at this time was not one that we would, uh, that we would relate to maybe here in our culture. 2,000 years later in the Western world, you know, we think of maybe cattle herders. You know, cattle herders, anybody, you know, been around cattle in their life? I grew up in a farming community, so I kind of have a picture of this. But cattle herders, you're trying to keep them all together, and you're basically pushing them from behind. You push them from behind, and you hopefully funnel them to where you want them to go. But the idea of a cattle herder is that you're not leading them. They're not following you. You're actually pushing them ahead of you. In contrast to that, we have Jesus referred to as the sheep that leads his sheep. The picture we have is that Jesus goes ahead of us. That there's nowhere that we go in this life that Jesus hasn't already walked. And it says actually in Hebrews that we do not have a high priest, which is referring to Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one that can sympathize with us in every way. We have one that's gone before us. We have one that doesn't say, hey, go try this. This, I think this is a good idea. He says, no, I'm going to go do this, and I invite you to come after me and to follow me. Very different, a shepherd versus this cattle herder. Now, before we unpack the good shepherd image, which which is what what I want to get to, I do want to take a little bit of a, I'll call it a rabbit trail, um, because it's, it's so prominent in this text. Uh, this text speaks of hearing God's voice. And I would ask the question of what does it mean to hear God's voice? What does that look like? How do we know what God is saying? Here in the text we see that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And they don't follow a stranger because they don't recognize his voice, but they follow Jesus because they do recognize his voice. And so what does Jesus' voice sound like? How do we know when we're hearing it? And, and, and often people think this is some mysterious thing that is for a select few that kind of get to hear God's voice, and then there's the rest of us that just go out to lean on them to, to ask them what God is saying. Uh, that's not the picture we see in Scripture at all. The picture is that every sheep knows the shepherd's voice. And sometimes this idea scares us. Um, and so we avoid maybe going there or talking about it, but I want to just suggest a few things before we get back to the good Shepherd, the main analogy here, about hearing the voice of God. First one is, you know, as people come to me, it's like, I, you know, I can't hear God's voice. You know, one of the first questions I would ask them is, do you spend time in the Word? Do you spend time in Scripture? Because if you don't recognize that God's voice is first and primarily given to us through His Word, and that Word isn't in your heart, it's not in your mind, then it's actually tough for you to filter out and filter in what God is actually saying versus what other people or other, other things you might be feeling or hearing. Which is God's voice? Which is the good shepherd's voice? I'm not sure because I'm not full of his word. And so are you spending time in the word? Are you, are you allowing his word to make a home in your heart, make a home in your mind? So that when you hear something, when you think something, when you feel something, you're actually quick to filter through if this is actually in alignment with what God has already revealed to us. Secondly, the written word, and you, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me refer to this, the written word is only 
as authoritative as it points to the living word, which is Jesus. And I can't tell you how critical this point is because there's people that know the Bible far better than you or I do that don't sound, smell, or feel anything like Jesus. The meaning was the word, the word was made flesh and made his home among us. The New Testament refers to this mystery that's now been revealed to us in Christ. That the point of God giving us this written word in his grand plan was actually to point us to the fullest revelation that we have of him, which is Jesus. So are you familiar with the written word? But then also, are you familiar with the living word? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he loves? Do you know what bothers him? And thirdly, are we in community? Because the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ, and the intent was never for us to walk alone, but to walk in community. And so if I'm full of the written word, I'm familiar and I have a relationship with the living word, and I'm in, I'm in a community that's referred to as the body of Christ, and I'm thinking something, I feel something, or I sense that God's telling me something, and I know the word, I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm in a relationship with other people that know the word and have a relationship with Jesus. Then we are actually able to begin to move with confidence as the shepherd speaks. Thirdly, are we praying? And prayer is more than just you know, taking our you know, list that we want God to answer, all of our prayer requests. It's like any conversation. We're getting to know God. We talk to him, but we also spend time listening. You know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you spend all your time talking, that's actually not much of a relationship at all. Do we actually spend time listening? You know, we talk to God. We tell him what our day. Maybe we have requests that we bring before him, but we're also opening our hearts and our minds to hear from him what he might have us to say. And as we feel thoughts, as we have feelings, and we're full of the word, we know the, the, the living word as well. We're in the context of community. Now even more, we can actually move with confidence what God is saying. And then lastly, the thing I would say, if you turn back one page, <clears throat> something I've been pondering lately, uh, John 8.31, so says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we actually see this idea a number of times in John. Basically this, that if you are truly my disciples, if you remain faithful, if you are obedient to my teachings, if you're obedient to what you have already been shown, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The revelation, understanding, knowing, and that's not just head knowledge, but also relational. It's not just cognitive, but relational. You will know the truth. We, that this, this knowledge, this, this revelation, this understanding, this, intima, this intimacy with God is preceded with obedience. Now, this is far different than, you know, being saved by works or being in a relationship with God because of I'm a good person. That is not what this is about. We're saved by grace alone through faith. There's nothing that you or I can do to be in a relationship with God. But because of that truth, sometimes we've, 
we've actually thrown away the idea of obedience and works at all. Whereas the Bible says, as we're obedient, as we follow Jesus and the things we already know about him, he's actually going to increase our awareness of him, increase our understanding, and we're going to have a richer um, relationship with him. We're going to have a higher ability to actually hear his voice and understand what he's saying to us because we're living in obedience to what he's already revealed to us. So I would say to you, are you in the word? Do you recognize that the written word points you to the living word in your relationship with the living word? Are you in a relationship with community? Are we spending time in prayer and we're talking to God, we're listening to God? And finally, are we living in obedience to what we know that God's already revealed to us? And most of what he, how he wants us to live has already been revealed to us in his word. So as we walk and step with God in this way, then we are learning to be sheep that hear a shepherd's voice. We're learning to identify the stranger that's not the shepherd, but to move forward when the shepherd is leading us forward. You know, I had a conversation with my wife a few weeks ago and some other people. Um, it was a little bit of an argument, a fun argument. Um, and she reminded me last week when I spoke this message at the McKenzie campus uh, that I, I didn't get her side of it right. So let me just say this is half the story. It's a luxury of, I guess, being having the microphone. Um, but we were talking about running. And she, and she made the comment that, you know, I'm not a runner. You know, we we're talking about runners, you know. And I'm like, and I said that you're not a runner because you choose not to run. You guys understand my logic? <laughs> there's certain people that are runners. She's like, there's some people that are runners and other people that aren't runners. I was like, well, the reason that certain people are runners is because at some point those certain people made the decision that I'm going to choose to run. And then they made that decision enough times that they, people referred to them as runners. That's kind of how it happened. It's, it's not like, you know, some were born runners and others weren't runners. It was some people chose to be runners and other people, like me, decided to be lazy. Now, she, she did have a better point than I'm making it sound, but uh, anyways, that's the essence of my side of the argument. <laughs> if, if you want to be a runner, you just start running. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we overcomplicate it. And I, and I would say to you, if you want to listen to God's voice, you start listening. You spend the time doing it. it it's a choice. It's not, it's not actually rocket science. Spend time in the Word. Spend time getting to know who Jesus is, what he's like. Spend time in community. Spend time in prayer and listening. And, uh, and when you wake up in the morning, try and live in obedience to what the things are that God's already revealed to you. you know, and then I think as we do that, more people that say, you know, I don't hear God's voice, or that's for some people, it's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm a runner. I'm not a runner. You know, it's, not, it's not about that. It's that. I'm choosing to be a sheep that listens to the good shepherd's voice. Okay, moving on. Uh, the Good Shepherd. Let's, let's talk about this, uh, this metaphor a little bit. In John chapter 10, we continue, uh, verse 8. And it says, all, Sorry, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, which is that Zoe word of life that I talked about a number of weeks ago. This full life 
not just survival, but a certain type of life. The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. I think that we need to be weary of folks that describe God or ideas that we have of God that sound much more like the thief than the good shepherd. I've heard lots of people describe God as this punitive, wrathful, destructive, killing type of being. And I don't know about you, but to me it sounds much more like the thief than the good shepherd. That God is not a thief looking to kill, steal, and destroy. That God actually came to give life and to give life in its fullness. And he's much more interested in restoration, in reclaiming. As Luke 15 describes, this good shepherd that runs and tracks down the lost sheep to bring them back. What is your picture of God? Because the picture we have of God actually is going to influence the type of people that we are. Any idea, any person that comes to you with a picture of a thief and says, you know, this is what God is like. We need to reject it because it's actually not what God is like in the person of Jesus as God's revealed himself to us as the good shepherd. And some people might say, well, you know, you're being, you're being soft on, you know, important things and on, uh, on sin and on the way people are living and the choices that people are making. And I'd say, no, the Bible's very clear that there's a proper way for us to live. But Jesus invites us to live in a certain way because it's the most life-giving, affirming, restorative, full, fully human way of living. It's the Zoe type of life. He doesn't invite us to live a certain way because if you don't, I'm going to come get you, destroy you. The New Testament uses the language of handing us over, you know, as we continue to make decisions that aren't in line with where the good shepherd is leading us, we actually begin to live lives of destruction. We are handed over to the consequences of our decisions. That's the New Testament picture. But God is always inviting us as the good shepherd towards life, towards restoration, towards this fullness of life. And that he is not the thief, that the enemy is the thief. That God is the good shepherd who comes in the form of Jesus to bring his sheep together. To lay down his life for his sheep, which we talk about now. Uh, John chapter 10, we continue, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock The hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So let me just say very simply here that Jesus is not a hired hand. Jesus is not someone who comes and helps us when it's convenient for him. He's not someone that when trouble comes into life, he runs away. He's not someone that abandons us 
when we've made mistakes or we've lost our way, he's not a hired hand. He's not in it for the money. He's not in it for some kind of selfish benefit, which is the contrast that's being made here. He's actually in it for the well-being of his sheep. To the point that he's willing, as we'll, t- we'll talk about it even more in depth next weekend, to lay down his own life for his sheep. That's the good shepherd. Some of you this morning have may- maybe have ideas of God as this thief, this destructive force, or this hired hand that's abandoned you when trouble came, or because of a certain choices you've made in your life, you think he's far from you. No, Jesus is the good sheep. Jesus isn't a thief. Jesus is for your restoration and those around you. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not a hired hand. He's not someone who actually abandons you when trouble comes or when we make mistakes. He pursues you. Which leads me to the next point. You know, in Luke 15, when it talks about the good shepherd, you know, the shepherd chasing down a sheep, we have this nice picture of what that looks like. Oh, you know, it's so cute and loving. You know, the good shepherd leaves, gets the sheep. You know, I, I remember like growing up in church having like the flannel boards and describing this picture, you know, with all the felt pieces. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. But as you know, actually, like I said, the sheep are these not nimble. They panic easily. You know, they're, you know, you can picture this little sheep that's panicked because some predator came and they, they, they wandered off from the flock. The good shepherd makes sure the 99 are safe. I'm going to get that little sheep. And this, this, this little sheep is just running around like crazy. It doesn't know up from down, and it's just in a panic mode. And the good shepherd actually has to tackle the sheep. This is the picture of a shepherd, too. Tackles the sheep, flips the sheep onto its back, ties up the legs, flips the sheep onto its back, carries it back to the fold, and then releases them in the pen The shepherd was also an analogy in this time for a king and flock for the servants or the citizens. That Jesus isn't just a shepherd, but he's a king, he's a lord. And sometimes when we're kind of going off on our own, and this is different than being this destructive type of thief, this loving good shepherd chases you down, tackles you, flips you on your back, ties up your legs, throws you on his back and carries you back to where you ought to be. That's also the picture of the shepherd. And if, if I'm going to refer to actually listening to God's voice very quickly, the, the amount of people that tend to hear God and they talk about what God is saying to them, you know, I'm often so stricken by the fact that everything they're saying that God's saying to them sounds a whole lot like everything that you've said to me. Like everything you think, everything you feel, that's, you know, you're talking about God like he agrees with you on everything. You and God are like in complete agreement on everything. It's like, don't, do you ever wrestle with God? Does God ever challenge you? Do you ever have to correct your course because God you know, spoke something to you or challenged you on something that you recognized was out of line or he, the shepherd was going this way and you decided to go on your own way and it was like, yeah, God and I had this battle, this fight, and he tackled me and he, you know, I had to really you know, change my heart on that one. Because the truth is, if, if we are actually listening to the shepherd's voice, he does not always agree with us. We're not the shepherd. 
And part of the mark of people that hear the shepherd's voice is you will hear this humility and authenticity of, you know, I wrestled with God. He challenged me on this or this hurt. But I know that because he's the good shepherd and he wants what's best for me and he loves me that I can trust him. And I, and I, and I came back. I let God work in my life. Be very careful of people that God always seems to be in agreement on them, with them on. I'll tell you, God and me don't always see eye to eye. I can be honest with you on that. But one of us is the good shepherd and one of us isn't, and I'll let you figure out which one is which. <laughs> so as we wrap, I want to invite the, the band up here as I wrap up. But as I began, I talked about Christology is theology, so as we understand who Jesus is, we actually also understand what God is like. For some of you this morning, you have viewed God as a hired hand or a thief. And God is actually helping you reimagine what he's truly like. And maybe for you this morning, it's about saying, no, I'm not actually going to embrace that idea of God anymore. I'm going to embrace it this picture of the good shepherd that's revealed in Jesus and let that start to define how I think about my relationship with God and how he treats me. But I also started by saying Christology helps us with our anthropology. Studying Jesus helps us understand who we truly are. And I would say to you, the application of that is almost just as important that not only are we called to be sheep, we serve and worship this good shepherd who became a sheep. Again, Easter Sunday, next Sunday. Who became a sheep, who laid down his life, Isaiah 53. This lamb that laid down his life so that we could also be shepherds. That as we study the good shepherd, we're reminded that God's calling us not just to be a hired hand. There's people in your lives that we are loving when it's convenient, but we leave them when it's not. And God's saying, I'm asking you to become an owner. And I mean that in the most positive sense of the word, not that we own people, but you take an ownership of somebody in your life, in your community, in your family, that maybe up until this point you've been responding as a hired hand and saying, no, I follow follow this good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep and because I follow him, I also in turn lay down my life for other people. And as I lay down my life for them, they receive life. And I don't just do it with convenience, I actually do it and incur a cost upon myself. Even when it calls for sacrifice on my part, I'm willing to do it because Jesus was willing to do it for me. And I know that when I follow him in his suffering, I also follow him in his resurrection and his life. And that I find a a type of life, this fullness of life in the self-sacrificing way that I would never find in the selfish consuming way. Why don't you stand with us? Father, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I thank you that you're not a hired hand, that you're not a thief, that you're not interested in destroying, you're not interested in running when trouble comes, you're actually mostly interested in laying down your life because you love us. Because, yeah, we're weak, 
We're uncoordinated, we panic easy, but we're so valuable to you. And so we thank you that in us you see a treasure that we don't often see in ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would model what it means to be a good shepherd in the lives of those around us. Lord, that you even highlight for us people um, that maybe we function as hired hands with that you're asking us to be more of an owner. We pray that you would highlight those people in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that we're able to live in the self-sacrificial, persistent way because your spirit actually lives in us and you empower us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.